Thank you, Lord, for this uh, model prayer that we've been looking at that really helps us in this whole issue of prayer. Reminds us that uh, we have a Father who does all things well. We, we have a Father who is unlike any Father on earth. We have a Father who, whose eye is always upon us. We have a Father who is concerned about every detail of our lives. We have a Father who tells us time and time again, especially in this Matthew 6 passage, to not be anxious about our lives. It's hard for us to do. But the more we understand the character of our Father, the easier it is to do, to not be anxious about our lives, about what's going to come next or what's going to come in three years or what's going to come when we get older, what's going to come when we lose our health. That is a very, very reassuring truth. And we're thankful that we are in this kind of relationship with you and that we are your sons and we've been adopted into your family. There's nothing in our lives that escapes your concern. And and Father, you're working in our lives many times and we don't even know you're working. Some of us perhaps tonight need to be reminded of that fact because of the circumstances that we're facing and the events that are swirling around us. It's a very unstable time right now in our country. We, we had a long stretch where everything was going our way, it seemed like, in terms of finances and the economy and Everything was good. Everything was moving ahead. And now it's a little bit shaky, and we hear things are getting better, but then we wonder what bank is going to need another bailout on Monday. We don't know, but you know. And our hope and our security is in you. I pray tonight, Lord, that you'll help us to, um, to get a grip on the facts of this passage. So, so many times we, we get overwhelmed and, and we get overloaded just with stuff coming our way from 50 different directions and we're trying to juggle everything. And it's easy to lose perspective. So tonight we would ask that the facts, that the truth in this time we have tonight would, would settle in in our minds and then make its way into our hearts. And uh, that we could find some uh, relief, that we could find some hope, that we could find some encouragement, that we could find some peace and that we could be stabilized, even in the midst of a lot of turmoil. You know exactly what you're doing in our lives. So, we ask for your assistance tonight. We, we don't want to waste this time. We pray that it would be valuable for us. We ask you to meet our needs. There's a ton of needs in here. We've all got them. But that's what you do. You meet needs. What a great God you are. We pray these things in the supreme name of Christ. Amen. Well, we're slowly working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and we better pick it up because next week's it. The opening address in Matthew 6, when Jesus tells us, pray then in this way, and, 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 and we, know, we, we know this prayer. 
our Father who art in heaven. So we're praying to the Father. But then there are six petitions that we find in this prayer, in this pattern prayer, in this model prayer. Uh, It's a prayer of headings. It's a prayer, if you will, uh, of, of an outline. It's just the main headings. The subheadings are not in here. But, but it's, it's an approach. A lot of times when we pray, we, we've got a concern, we've got an anxiety, we've got a need on our hearts, and so we just immediately go right to the concern and go right to the petition. And, and sometimes that's what you have to do. But if you do that all the time, you're making a mistake. Because Jesus starts out by saying, when you pray, pray like this, our Father... And a lot of times, if we would just slow down, a lot of times if we would just stop, a lot of times if we would just consider before we pour out our petition who it is that we're praying to and think a little bit and cogitate a little bit about my father and about who he is and about his character and about his promises, if we would just take that in for a little bit, before we ever get to our petition, it's going to calm us down. Because you see, we've really got to get it clear who it is we're praying to. But so often we fly by it. Now, do you take 15 minutes and think about that? I don't think so. This is very practical. But, but I think it's good to put the brakes on. I think so often we're quick to speak. But James says that we're to be, doesn't James says that we're to be slow to speak? You see, we're so, we got all these petitions. Our Father, what does that mean? Who is he? Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. And then note the six petitions. Hallowed be your name, or may your name be honored. God's name is not often honored. It's, It's often invoked. It's often used for blasphemy. It's often used trivially. It's a wonderful thing for his name to be honored. He deserves honor. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What we've covered so far on the petitions, we have covered hallowed be your name, and we've covered your kingdom come. Tonight I'm going to try and get the next two petitions. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us this day our daily bread. Let's see if we can do it. Let's see. You say, why couldn't you cover those two? Well, I don't know. But a lot of times I don't cover what I intend to cover. But let's try to cover it tonight. Okay? Uh, Your kingdom come. There's a whole lot we could say about the kingdom. Books have been written on, on, on the kingdom and when and see when it says your kingdom come and then he says thy will be done see you said we did our king your kingdom come last week that's right we did but see where we pray for his kingdom to come and one day his kingdom is coming and um y- you know guys it's biblical prophecy is a very exciting thing and we are living in some very very interesting days uh, ever since 1948, it's been interesting, extremely interesting. Uh, 1948 was a, was a benchmark. I almost said an earmark, but that's another th- kind of thing that is interesting that Congress does that we don't want to get into. Isn't a congressional earmark one of those deals where they get all that money? Okay, we don't want to get into that right now. Uh, 1948 was a benchmark because that's when Israel was reconvened in the land. They became a nation again. That was prophesied in the scriptures. Um, I'm sorry? 
It was today? I didn't read the paper today. You're kidding. Now, isn't that interesting? I'm up to date, and I don't even know I'm up to date. <laughs> Usually, I'm so far out of whack. That, it was today. My gosh. Isn't that something? What a coincidence. <laughs> Providence of God. So 60 years ago today. 60 years ago today. Now, that was prophesied. In the old, there's never been a nation in history. Ever. There's never been a nation in history that has ceased to exist and their people disperse who have come back together. But that was prophesied in the Old Testament was going to happen in Israel. You know, Israel is half the size of San Bernardino County in California. Half the size of a county in California. Yet the whole world revolves around what's going on around Israel. You see? One day his kingdom will come. We, we know this, since 48, the prophetic calendar has kicked in, and things are happening. Things are happening. The, the, the Christians in, in the New Testament, um, they're told all the time, the Lord's coming soon. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we say, well, what happened? Well, nothing happened. He is coming soon. It's just that God's arithmetic is a little bit different than your arithmetic. You know, to us, a 1,000 years is a thousand years, right? This is profound, isn't it? You came here tonight to hear stuff like this. To us, a thousand years is a thousand years. But a thousand years to the Lord is like what? It's like a day. You see how his arithmetic is different than our arithmetic? It's just been two days since the early Christians were told that he's coming soon. He's coming soon. It's just a little bit different time schedule than we're used to. The things have kicked into gear. So his kingdom is coming. Now, here's the deal. These, these petitions are all tied in. As we were looking at last week when it says, thy kingdom come. See, where his kingdom is, is where he's ruling and reigning. And where he is ruling and reigning, his will is done, which takes us to where we are tonight. Um, this petition, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer. Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray like this. Years ago, I, I read a, a, a section, and I believe it was from A.W. Tozer. And Tozer said this about prayer. Because he's telling us in here how to pray. When we pray, we need to be careful that we pray that God's will be done. And Tozer said something along these lines. Tozer said that the most difficult work in prayer is getting yourself to a position where you prefer the will of God. He's right. Oftentimes we pray and we've got a concern and we've got a pressure and we've got an issue and we bring it to the Lord and, and we pour out our hearts and that is exactly what we should do. But oftentimes we express the position and we lay out the concern, and pour out our, our, our worry and our anxiety, as we're told to do, but then we immediately attach to that petition a proposed solution that would please us. Here's our concern, and Lord, if you would do this and this, it, it's, we, we, it's almost like a doctor filling out a prescription. Here's my concern, here's the diagnosis of my life, but if you would just fill this. That's the wrong way to pray. How do we pray? Well, how did Jesus pray? Not my will, but thine be done. That's how you pray. Uh, in her, Jan, is it Caron, who writes those books about Mitford? If you've ever read those on summer vacation. Uh, the guy in there, I forget his name, because I read it a long time ago, but the guy who's the... Uh, the little pastor, the little, what do, you, what do you call those guys? I don't like to call guys father. Father Tim, he's a, what is he, an Anglican or something? Eh, something like that. Anyway, Father Tim would tell people, he'll say, why don't you pray the prayer that God always answers? And so what's that prayer? Not my will, but thine be done. That's good theology. That's the prayer to pray. But see, so often, I got my proposal. I got my 14-page solution. 
Uh, I've, I've got it in great detail. God, if you would just do this, this, and this, and this to alleviate this situation. You know, it's interesting to me how many times God does not do that for me. He'll respond, but he doesn't usually do it that way. And you've noticed that as well. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The most difficult thing about prayer is getting your mind into a uh, position or a frame of mind where you prefer the will of God. Here's my concern. Now, Father, I don't know here the best way to handle this. I, I, I got some ideas, but what do I know? Would you do your will? And would you clearly show me your will in terms of my involvement in this thing? What is it that you want to do? Uh, D.A. Carson has written these words about this passage and about the Lord's Prayer. He says, these first three petitions, though they focus on God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will, are nevertheless prayers that he may act in such a way that his people will hallow his name, submit to his reign, and do his will. Now watch this. It is therefore impossible to pray this prayer in sincerity without humbly committing oneself to such, a, to such a course. In other words, when you pray, hallowed be your name, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, when you're praying that, you better be committing yourself to that. There, there's a little course that says, um, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified. It's a great little course. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Well, how is God glorified? When I hallow his name. When, when, I, when, when I, as a subject of his kingdom, am being obedient to, his, to, to, to the king. Thy will be done. You, you, you see, the point of this prayer is there are all kinds of issues going on in our lives. It's interesting, is it not, to just watch what's going on politically in our country right now. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to look at it through the lens of Scripture and to know that God, in all this stuff, God's working his will. And, you know, it's, you know we've all got our, our positions and our, you know, what we would prefer and how we'd like to see things work out and all that. But it's really interesting to see God working because God's working in all of it. And, and he is uh, he's weaving and he is confounding and, he is frustrating, and he is, he's in all of it. And then the question, well, what's going to happen on, because, you know, the Republicans figured their thing out a long time ago. And, and isn't it interesting, because the guy who's going to get the nomination, the guy who was dead as a, nor, a doornail a year ago. Who would have thought that he'd be there? But he's there. And a lot of people are confounded by that. And then you got on the Democratic side, it looked like for, for several years we knew who the Democratic nominee was going to be. And now it looks like that's in a little bit of turmoil. And then what's going to get interesting is how are they going to decide it and how are they going to work it out? Because somebody's going to get ticked off. And there's going to be some difficulty. And there's going to be some bad feelings. And there's going to be some bad blood and all this. Now who's orchestrating all this? Oh, and then those people, who's going to wind up deciding? Well, it looks like a group of people are going to wind up deciding. What are they going to decide? Proverbs 21.1, the superdelegate's heart. <laughs> is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. It's not, a, not an application of Proverbs 21.1, which says the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. God turns kings to do things that he wants them to do. And they do it. God's behind the whole thing. So, superdelegates, their hearts are like channels of water, and the Lord turns it whatever way he wishes. Because, because you see, God has already determined who's going to be in that office. That's how God works. And he's already, and the, oh, by the way, four years later, he's got that worked out. And four years, it's all worked out. There's a plan. There's a plan. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, nationally and politically, Thy will be done. 
in every area of your life. And you know, what's, you know what's amazing about God? His will will be done. It will be done. It will be accomplished. Let's take it down now to, to our lives and to what's going on with us. In our day-to-day existence, we should be praying, Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. You know what's interesting to me, this whole concept. You ever, you ever find yourself asking God to show you his will? Sure you do. Lord, just show me your will. Just show me. You know, there are, I think there are six times in Scripture, and you can follow up on this. You can get a concordance and just look this up. Six times in Scripture, there is a clear statement that goes like this. This is the will of God. Isn't that interesting? Well, I'm glad to know that. Because I want to know God's will and you want to know. And sometimes we're not sure that, you know, God, do I make this decision? Do I take this job? Do I move here? Do I, well, it's, see, it's not clear. But there are things in Scripture that are extremely clear. Let me show you one. First Thessalonians chapter 4. When I was a kid, I used to always think this was First Ministronians. But it's Thessalonians, and there's a difference. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I'll just give you one example where we have this clear statement. Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. Pretty clear. Well, what's the will of God? Uh, your sanctification. What does that mean? Sanctification means to be set apart. When you budget... Uh, when you get your paycheck, you don't just go through the drive-thru and cash it and start spending money. You have sanctified that money. See, you've set apart that money. So my mortgage payment, I, I've got it set up that every two weeks, my checking account gets hit. Every two weeks. That money's been sanctified. That money's been set apart for an intended usage. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's real clear. That's God's will for your life. It's God's will for my life. We abstain. Not in lustful Passion, I, I, I skipped a verse, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemn you warned you. What's the will of God that I abstain from sexual immorality? Catch this, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You know what? You've got to learn how to possess your own body in ways where you turn from sexual immorality. That's the will of God. So we've got to be taught that. We've got to learn that. Now, where do you learn it? Ideally, we learn it as boys from our fathers. But most of us don't learn it in that context. I think I've done this before, but it's been a while. How many of you guys, I'm just curious, were... uh, we're taught the facts of life by your father. In fact, you know what I'd like you guys to do? I'd like you to stand. You mind standing? Just stand. We're not going to put you on the spot. Just stand. All right. These are the guys. Just look around for a minute. All right. These are the guys that we're taught. Maybe, how, what, a, what kind of percentage would you say here? 10, maybe 15%? Okay. These are the guys whose fathers talked to them about sexuality and why are you guys sitting down? No, go ahead and have a seat. I'm sorry. I'm just, you're very uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Now, just, just for contrast, if your father didn't talk to you, he wasn't the one that explained sex to you, why don't you stand? Go ahead. Okay. Now, do you, you guys can have a seat. Okay. Now, do you see why some of us struggle with sexual temptation? You say, what does that have to do with anything? Because it says that you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. One of the jobs that a father ought to do is to talk to his sons about how to possess their own vessels in sanctification and honor. But it's a talk we don't want to have because 
because we're uncomfortable. And especially if your father didn't have the talk with you, well, why didn't he have a talk with you? I imagine because his father didn't have a talk with him. Because his father didn't have a talk with him. Because who in their right mind wants to talk about this to their son? But who better equipped to talk about it with a son than a father? You see? So if, that, if, if you weren't instructed and you weren't coached and you weren't given some fundamental principles by a father on sexuality and how to handle it, you're, no wonder you're struggling. But at some point, we've got to learn this, and we're learning it our entire lives. This is where the enemy gets us because we're men. Uh, we have a sexual drive. Our wives don't have that kind of sexual drive. Uh, a lot of wives are in sexual neutral. Can I say that in here? Oh, I just said it, and it's true. Because women are responders. Can I say that? Sure. There's still a constitution in this nation. Women are responders. God has made men to be initiators, and women are responders. You see? Men, men have a sexual drive. That's a big deal to us. And God put that within us. But you you got to learn. See, at some point, what does it say that you abstain from sexual immorality? Well, how do I abstain from sexual immorality? It's especially in this day and age. Never before in history have men been tempted sexually like they are today. Never. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. And, 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 and why does this stuff appeal to us? Because we're men. Because we're visual. You've got to learn how to handle the stuff that is emailed to you and you don't even know, you think it's innocuous and then it's a pornographic way. So you've got to... You see, well, you know, most guys, they just go with it. That's exactly right, but you're not most guys. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Sanctify. We're to sanctify ourselves. This is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual morality. Well, how am I going to do it? You've got to learn how to do it. You've got to learn how to do it. So when you pray, see, we pray about all kinds of things. One of the things you pray about is that, Lord, I want to do your will. And I don't know how to do this. And see, when I've done it wrong for so many years, and I put crud in my mind and images in my mind, are you going to fix this overnight? No. It's going to take you some time. But you have to want it. You have to pursue it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want your will to be done in my life. So would you help me with this? Help me to learn how to fight temptation. Help me to learn how to say no. Help me to learn how to flee immorality. And some of you guys that are caught in this, we got guys in here that have been in sexual addiction. We we've got guys in here right now that have been sexually addicted. But, but you know what? God's given them great victory. And he can give you great victory. But you have to learn how. So you say, well, how do I learn how? Well, what I do is I find someone, and you say, well, I can't tell them. Sure you can. You can tell them. Find somebody to go through life with. Find somebody to help you with your sin. Thy will be done. You remember how Jesus sent them out one by one? You guys remember that? Jesus didn't send them out one by one. Jesus sent them out what? Two by two. See, the Christian life, we partner with people. And that's why we're in a church, and that's why we're in a body, and that's why you get guys meeting with other guys. And see, that's all good stuff, because you go through life together, and, and then you open up, and you can trust this guy, and then you pray for one another. And see, but, but when you say, thy will be done, and you're not open to meeting someone, you're not open to learning how, you're really not saying, thy will be done. You're really not. So see, it comes down to us individually. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes, see, those, those, are, those are our daily habits. I want the Lord, I want his will to be done in, in, in my national life because it affects me and it affects my kids. How many of you guys get uh, Jim Dobson's newsletter from Focus? Did you get it this week? Did you get it this week? His newsletter this week is really something. 
Because he talks about, um, he talks about the economy and he talks about uh, the spending that's going on in Congress. And in about a page, in about a page and a half, and so why is he talking about that? Because he's talking about how it's going to affect families long term and how it's going to affect our kids and their kids. And in about a page and a half, you read these facts. It's just one fact after, just facts. You know, Peter Drucker said, when the facts are clear, the decision jumps out at you. So it's just fact after fact after fact for about a page and a half. And when you get to the end of the page and a half, you're utterly and totally in despair. And then Dobson says, now, I don't want to leave you without hope. And I thought, well, good. Because I'm pretty much without hope right now. <laughs> because when you look at the facts, it's, it's, it's crushing. It's just crushing. Hmm. Interesting. Some, uh, somebody needs to address this. We, 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 got, we got a situation going on here. doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on politically. This affects everybody. So somebody needs to st- step up and address this thing. Um, it, it, it's somewhat astonishing, you see? That's, so, so, so you know what? I want God to work in our nation. Because I got kids that are going to follow up, and they're going to have kids. But then I want I want God's will to be done also in my daily life and in helping me develop godly habits. Uh, and then sometimes we find ourselves in times of crisis. Life just suddenly turns, and maybe where we are right now, there's a lot of turmoil. Maybe your your financial security, which you thought you had, maybe you've lost, or maybe you've lost a job, or See, sometimes we get into crisis. It's not all bad getting into crisis financially. Because what it does is, it helps us to focus on how dependent we really are on our Father. Look at the next statement Jesus makes. Now here he transitions in the prayer. But up until now, he's been talking about God's glory God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And now, after, after starting with God, after starting with God and God's name and God's character, now he's going to transition into our personal needs and our personal request. And we know these, gosh, how many times have we prayed this prayer and how many times have we said these words? Give us this day our daily bread. James Boyce says this, It should be obvious that prayer for daily bread is not for mere bread alone, still less the bread of the Lord's Supper. It is prayer for real food and for whatever else we need to sustain ourselves physically. There has been much uncertainty about the word translated daily as in daily bread. Since until very recently, the word it translates in the Greek was unknown in any ancient text except for two versions of this prayer in Matthew and Luke. What did it mean? One of the early church fathers, Origen, was aware of this uncertainty and suggested that Matthew made the word up. Well, Origen was wrong. Origen was also the guy who really wanted to be sexually pure, so he castrated himself. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily listen a lot to Origen. <laughs> Origen had some issues. Um, he should have prayed, Thy will be done. I don't think that was God's will, do you? All right, here we go. However, as William Barclay reports in his commentary on Matthew, not long ago, this is fascinating, a papyrus was uncovered in which this Greek word appeared on a woman's shopping list. This is why archaeology is so interesting. They're digging in the dirt over there somewhere, and they find this little, some, some lady's shopping list. Here's the word. Oh, that word doesn't exist. Oh, yeah, it does. It's in Matthew and Luke. It appeared on a woman's shopping list as an obvious reminder to her to buy a necessary food item for the next day. That's her little list, grocery list, daily bread. Oh, that word doesn't, oh, yeah, it's on the lady's shopping list. Give us this day our 
daily bread. Isn't that interesting? Pretty wild stuff. Now, most of us are not in a position where we need God desperately to give us our daily bread. You, you, know, you, you know the modern Christian American prayer on this Lord's Prayer thing? It would be this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me 20 years income that I can invest wisely and get 15 to 20% returns per annum so that I never have to worry and I never have to be concerned. And I've got everything I need and I've got a surplus and I've got retirement taken care of. And I'll never have to walk by faith and I'll never have to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't that kind of how you'd like it? It's kind of how I like it. But, the, but Jesus didn't say when you pray, pray. He didn't say pray that way. Jesus said, give us this day our, what? Give us our daily bread. Well, you know what? Pretty much everybody in here, you got your daily bread. Most everybody. Now, some guys are in a pretty tight position. Sometimes God puts us in situations where, you know what? We literally have to pray this prayer. Um, in the end of May, I'm going to speak over in England. And we're going to, Mary and I are going to take about a week, maybe 10 days afterwards. And we're going to tour around England. And uh, we're going to go to George Mueller's orphanage in Bristol. And I've, I've read quotes to you out of this book before. George Mueller was a guy that lived in the 19th century. And uh, Lord got a hold of his life, and he decided, he felt led by God. You know, there was a huge problem with orphans back in England back then. Kids just running around neglected. It was, it was just incredible. And uh, Mueller decided, God wanted him to start an orphanage. But you know what he decided to do? He was going to start this orphanage. And he was going to do the whole thing by asking God to meet the daily needs. And he wasn't going to ask anybody else or tell anybody else that he had a need. He wasn't going to do it. And what he did when he started this thing, he kept a daily diary. Because what he wanted to prove to people was that you could pray to the living God. And he would meet your needs. He wanted to prove to people that you could live off of the promises of God. So on purpose, he starts this thing without any seed money. He started, and you say, well, that's crazy. Well, he felt like that's what God wanted him to do. He felt like God wanted him to devote his life to living off the promises of God, and he kept meticulous records on a daily basis. And this is, this is his diary for all those years. Took care of thousands and thousands of orphans. The man who wrote the foreword to the book said that um, uh, Mueller humbly claimed that the Lord had answered 50,000 prayer requests 30,000 of those in the same hour or day in which they were asked. Well, how would he know that? Because he kept a record. That's pretty smart. And you read this thing. You can just flip anywhere in this. And um, here's uh, January 2nd, 1871. From Cardiff, 30 pounds. From Hastings, 45 pounds. Scotland, 100 pounds came in. From one of the Midland counties, 100 pounds came in. Um, he's, got, he's got it all down here. Meticulous. So how do you know there were 50,000 requests? He wrote them down. How do you know 30,000 were answered in the same hour or the same day? He wrote them down. God would send George Mueller over 75 million pounds to take care of orphans. For what, 50 years? But... They, they're still running the orphanage, and he's been dead for 100 years. They're still taken care of. 
Give us this day our what? Give us this day our daily bread. January 4th, 1853. Let me, let, let me make sure I got this right. I, I got to check this because I got two quotes from him. Yeah, I got it right. Catch this. All right, January 2nd, 1853. Where were you on January 2nd, 1853? You were nowhere. Okay. You know, for some reason, I don't think I got this right. You guys got to give me a second. I, I had so many, hold my call, will you? I had so many clips in here. Okay, yeah, this is it. Okay. The orphanage has been going now for, for a number of years, and so he writes this. Um, the Lord, January 4th, 1853, the Lord did far more than ever in the way of supplying me with means. For 8,100 pounds was given to me, of which uh, 600 pounds was portioned out for the current expenses of the orphans. Those people are entirely mistaken who suppose that the work is now no longer a work of faith as it used to be in former years when they were getting started. It is true we now have a larger income than we used to have in the years 1838, 1839, and 1840. But it is also true that our expenses are three times as great. Now remember, this guy would never let you know he had a need. He wouldn't tell you. He didn't send out prayer letters. He didn't, he didn't, do it. He didn't ask you to give him support. He wouldn't do it on purpose. Okay? We have no regular income now, even as we had not then. Now, can you imagine having no regular income and trying to take care of your family? Can you imagine that? Larry can. You're in a, Larry's in a, you're just in a tough chapter. Yeah. But probably five years ago, you couldn't imagine that. But now you imagine it because that's where you are. Okay? Now, now listen to what he says. We ask no human being for help, even as we did not then. We depend alone upon God by his grace, even as we did then. Who is, who is there in the whole world that will state that I ever asked him for help in this orphan work? Nobody can say that I asked. From its, from its commencement on December 9, 1835, up until now. Now, as we have no funds to live upon. Now think about that. At this point, he's got 330 orphans a day to take care of. And what does he say here? Now, as we have no funds to live upon, oh, that's interesting. How many kids do you have? And we have no regular subscribers or donors upon whom we could depend, as we never help ask help from man but God alone, and as far Finally, we never did go into debt for this work, nor do we now. Why is it not now a work of faith as it formerly was? Will those who say it is not place themselves in my position when at the close of the year, 1852, I had not two pounds left? I didn't have two bucks. And about 330 persons were day-to-day -to, -day to be provided for with all they need and prove whether it is now anything else more than a work of faith. Everyone, except those who are determined not to see, will have no difficulty in perceiving that now, as formerly, one could only be kept from being overwhelmed in such a position by looking day by day to the Lord, and not merely for everyday supplies, but for help under the numberless difficulties which continually are met with such work. He's got 330 kids to take care of. And I got two pounds, I got two bucks. And then, you know, then you go on, and all the way through this, God sends money, and then they're out of money. And you know what happens? You go through, and you just pick any page in this. I love this book. You just pick any page. And what would happen? He'd have these orphan kids, and when they started out, when he had about 20 kids, they're sitting down to eat uh, breakfast. And you know what? There's nothing to feed these kids. So you know what Mueller does? He tells them to set the table. And the cook kind of looked at it. And he said, go ahead and set the table. So the cook set the table, and the kids helped, and they set the table. And then they all sit down for breakfast. And he says, let us give thanks to the Lord for our food. And there's no food. And they're all looking at him like he's nuts. And he begins to pray, 
and there's a knock at the door. And the cook goes to the door and answers the door, and there's a man saying, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm making a delivery of my baked goods to the bakeries, and he's got his wagon out there and his horses, and you can see it, and he broke an axle. And he said, there's no way I can make these deliveries. I was wondering if you would have any need for these baked goods. Thanks, Lou. And so they've got their Krispy Kremes, and you know, they're... Is that a great story? It wasn't a great story two minutes before the door knocked. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Uh, let's go to June 8th. We were in January 4th. All right? Uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting about reading Dobson's newsletter is that you realize what a house of cards this whole economy is. And, and quite frankly, you realize what a joke this whole thing is. So we got to bail out this group, and we got to bail out this group, and this group, and, you know, the Federal Reserve is going to loan them money. Well, where the heck do they get that money? Well, you print it. They got these big Xerox machines. Well, what's behind the money? Maybe you could help me with that. What, what, what's behind that money? Yeah, debt. If there's anything behind the money, it's debt. Red China is behind the money. You see? Well, that's, that's comforting. Oh, well, this bank just went down. Well, some yo-yo from Kuwait just stepped in and gave them $90 trillion. Oh, that's encouraging. Osama, what's his name? Now, are you guys getting this? We're in an extremely precarious situation. So we bail them out. We print money, okay? Now, you know, the whole basis of economics is trust. Do you need a little hope now? Probably do. Well, here's some hope. Give us this day our daily bread. This thing could go down pretty quick. I'm not... No, I take that back. I was going to say, I'm not trying to scare you. I, I kind of am. Because if indeed that happened, is, is it going to happen? Probably not. But what if it did happen? What if it did happen? What would you do? Can I ask you this? Would you make it as a child of God? Mueller, yeah, yes, you would. And Mueller spent his whole life on purpose proving you could make it. But most of us never, ever find ourselves in this position where we've got to pray from the heart, in desperation, give us this day our daily bread. Now, let's jump. Are you guys still with Can I read you another section here? This is pretty wild stuff. Because, you know, unless I miss my guess, I bet you there's someone in here who's a little pressured financially. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, June 8th. He says, oh, no, I'm sorry, June 13th. He says, we are now very poor. I thought he was a child of God. Obviously, he has not sowed seed into prosperity theology preachers. <laughs> we are now very poor. Well, what, what's the problem with you, George? Not enough faith? This sucker has more faith than no yo-yos by 10,000 times over. We are now very poor. Not indeed in debt, nor was even all the money gone. For there were still about 12 pounds in hand. Oh, you're rolling, man. You're cruising. But uh, then there needed to be bought flour, oatmeal, and soap, and there were repairs going on in the house with a number of workmen, besides the regular current expenses of about 70 pounds per week. Over and above all this, on Saturday, the day before yesterday, I found that the heating apparatus needed to be repaired, which would in all probability be about 25 pounds. It was therefore desirable humanly speaking, to have 100 pounds for these heavy extra expenses besides means for the current expenses. But I had no human prospect whatever of giving, getting even 100 pence, 100 pennies, I think, much less 100 pounds. In addition to this, today was Monday, which generally the income is little. But in walking to the orphan house this morning and praying as I went, I particularly told the Lord in prayer that on this day, though Monday, he could send me much, and thus it was. I received this morning 301 pounds for the Lord's service as we needed. 
The, now watch this, watch this. The joy which I had cannot be described. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that not sweet? There's nothing like an answer to prayer when you're desperate. But see, we're so rarely desperate. I walked up and down in my room for a long time. Tears of joy and gratitude to the Lord running plentifully over my cheeks, praising and magnifying the Lord for his goodness and surrendering myself afresh with all my heart to set uh, to him for his blessed service, I scarcely ever felt more the kindness of the Lord in helping me than on that day. I'm telling you guys, you just pick a page. You just pick a page. And if you could, I mean, it, to me, if I could write a subtitle, it says the autobiography of George Mueller, and the subtitle is A Million and a Half Answers to Prayer. It, if I could write another subtitle under this, you know what I'd write on here? Give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> That's just unreal. Hey, flip over to Leviticus. You love Leviticus, don't you? It's your favorite book. Leviticus 25. In Leviticus 25, it's really an interesting, uh, it's really an interesting chapter. Because it's the year about the sabbatical year. The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. You getting this? Six years they worked the land. But you know how Israel had a Sabbath day? They only had a Sabbath day. They had a Sabbath year. Hey, the seventh year, God says, I don't want you planting any crops. Well, that's, uh, the banks are going to have a problem with that. Yeah, yeah, the banks are going to have a problem with that. I, I got a problem with that. What do you, what do you mean you don't? Why does, the, why, why does the land need to rest? God says, let it rest. So you don't plant crops for the seventh year. Well, how are we going to make it? Well, that's, that's very interesting. How are you going to make it? Because if you read all the way through this passage, if you look down at uh, verse 20, it says, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? Now watch this. Then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. You got to be putting me on. Well, let me ask you something. What if, what if you do this and he doesn't bring in enough for three years? Then what? Well, then you're in trouble. You know what's interesting about this? What's interesting about this is that this was a clear, a clear command of God. And you know what? The nation of Israel never did it. They never did it. For 490 years, they never observed the Sabbath year. Never did it. Okay. 490 years. So that means, you guys who are math majors, 490 years, they're supposed to do a Sabbath every seventh year. That's how many Sabbaths? That's 70 Sabbaths. Never did it. If you're familiar with your Old Testament, you know that at a certain point in their history, after the prophets had spoken, um, they were taken off in the captivity to a place called Babylon. Anybody remember how long they were there? 70 years. 70 years. You can pay me now, or you can pay me later. Did the land get 70 years of rest? Mm-hmm. And so did they. Isn't that interesting? Um, 
Can I give you one more shot on George Mueller? You say, why are, why are, you, why, why are you going into this? Well, because it says, give us this day our daily bread. And you know what? Our, you, you know what our, hey, quite frankly, you know what? We're afraid. We're afraid to trust him. I, I, I know I am. My money comes in sporadically. And um, it just does. It's kind of interesting sometimes. And the summers are real interesting. Because uh, I don't go out and I don't speak. And when we don't speak, we don't, we don't have income. And I've got to maintain my private jet. <laughs> it's a little tough. So, you know, I'm thinking that through all the time. And I had, I had some money come in about... What month is this? See, I don't know. See, it's May. Um, I had money come in in February. And I get a quarterly statement from a publisher. And hopefully there's a check with it. And it was a pretty good little check. I thought, oh, that's good. I'm going to put that away, and I'm going to use that for the summer. And about three days later, Mary's on the phone talking to somebody that we know that's really had some tough shots in their life. People that, um, they, they've been deeply betrayed by, by Christians to the point where they've pretty much lost their faith. And, and Mary stays in touch with this individual. And uh, they're talking maybe an hour and a half. And, and then I'm, I walk in the kitchen, I'm listening, I can tell, I can tell this individual's crying on the other line because Mary's talking to him. And Mary's asking questions. And, well, what's going on? And then the, the stress in this person's life and the diagnosis of cancer and a son potentially in prison and because of another health issue, they haven't been able to work. And the former husband has cut off support. And you know that money I'd set aside for the summer? I had this little sense that you need to give her that money. And I'm thinking, crap. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. Oh, gosh. I got to get through the summer. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Well, if I don't plant crops that took years, how the heck are we going to make it? You know what? You'll have it when you need it. And so I'm watching this, and Mary's making eye contact with me, and we're kind of going back and forth, and and I'm I'm listening, and I knew what the Lord wanted me to do. And Mary's looking at me, and she's repeating things she's saying so I can hear it. And that money that I had put away, it was on my heart to give it all to her. And then Mary's talking to her and said, well, we can help you. And I said, yeah. And Mary said. <laughs> and I gave, her, I gave her a number that was 60% of the money. And I knew when I did it. I was going to give it all. But I wouldn't, I didn't do it. But I knew, I knew I was going to give it. I just knew I was. And it really helped this gal. But a few weeks later, 
Mary's, I walk in, Mary's on the phone with her again. And this, and we're running the same scenario. And I knew as soon as I walked in there what was going to happen. And you know what? I was ready to do it. I was ready. And I just, and Mary looked at me and I said, and she said, well, we're going to send this much. And I hadn't meant to tell you guys any of this. And about a week after that, I met with a guy here and, you know, it's in the Bible study and he's in a real crisis. A big crisis. And he said to me, he said, you know, this has happened, this and this. And he said, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the summer. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, you'll make it. He goes, how do you know that? I said, that's, what I, that's, that's kind of what I think every summer. And you know what, every summer I make it somehow. He said, really? He said, I said, yeah, my money comes in different ways sporadically, you know. He said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, really? He said, I wouldn't think that would be the case. I said, well, you know, I mean, I'm not hurting, but God just brings it in when we need it. I said, he'll bring it in for you. He said, oh, well, that's good. And uh, then I'm thinking, and that money I had set aside for the summer, I just felt like I needed to give it away. You know what's interesting? I knew God would do this. And I told the guy, I said, I'll tell you something. God will, God will take care of it. So this week, that money that I felt like I had to give, I get a check for four times that amount this week. And there's the summer. Now, why am I telling you guys this? Because I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. No, I'm okay for the fall, and I don't want you to think we're dead. I'm just saying there are times God puts me in situations where if he doesn't come through, I'm finished. Does he ever put you in that situation? Did he ever put Mueller in? Mueller would put himself in the situation to show that there's a living God that when you pray, give us this day our daily bread. And you know one thing Mueller goes on and says? He says one reason, one reason at times we get ourselves in a pinch is that we feel we don't make enough to give. And the reason we don't give, hey, how much should you give? That's between you and the Lord. But the reason we don't give, well, I don't have enough to give. See, there's a principle. You say, what does this have to do with sabbatical year? God said, you're going to have to trust me that I'm going to get you through that year, and I'm going to give you enough in the sixth year to get you through the next three years. But if we never trust him, we never see that he meets all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. It's the greatest way in the world to live. And he comes through. And that way you know he's, he's living now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we would ever ask or think. To him be glory in the church. So some of you are in a tight spot. Some of you are in a little crisis. Maybe a deal you thought was coming through hasn't come through. Some of you guys work on commission. You haven't had a commission check in six months. How are we going to make it? You know what? You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Because of who he is. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. So, Father, we say to you, thank you for giving us our daily bread. Sometimes we get nervous, and sometimes we get scared, and sometimes you ask us to give what we think we can't give. And really what you're doing is you're doing to us what you ask Israel to do on the Sabbath year. You're saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me so that you don't plant crops, and you'll trust me that I'll bring it in? And they never did. Would you help us to trust you? You're our Father. You've never broken a promise. If we're never in a crisis, we never see... Hey, George Mueller was in a crisis about every other day in his whole life. 
About every other day, he had about two bucks to feed several hundred kids. Yet here's an entire book that people read all over the world about your provision. So for the guys that are in crisis, I pray that they will pray from the heart, believing that you will answer this prayer because you're our Father. And you go on in the next passage, in the next chapter, and say that if we ask you for a loaf of bread, you won't give us a stone. You know, your Father knows that you need these things. So seek ye first the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord, to seek you first, to love you more than money. We don't own anything. We're just stewards. It all belongs to you. If you prompt us to give it, we need to give it because we don't own it. And when we give it, the supply is on the way to replenish it. Give, and it shall be given unto you. We believe the promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.